right, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. My name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you, and we talk about better pain management, we talk about rehab after surgery, we talk about improved mobility, and we talk about preventative care. And you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast. So let's get on with the interview. All right, Dr. Finer, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy Podcast. And it's all about you. We're going to celebrate you. Why not? How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. All the way from Florida. Still sort of sunny out there. Beautiful weather. Still sunny. I like it. All right, so let's give us a little 411 on who you are, doctor, and and uh, let's level set because we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, workers' comp and what that means and all that fun stuff that's in between that you bring to this particular podcast. Not me. It's all about you. <laughs> sure. So I'm a uh, orthopedic surgeon. I'm uh, fellowship trained in hand and upper extremity. Um, I've been out in practice about seven years out here in uh, Claremont, which is about 20 minutes outside of Orlando. Um my primary focus, like I said, is hand, wrist, and elbow. I do do a little bit of uh, general orthopedics still. I still take some trauma call. Uh, so I do see some injuries kind of from all over. Um, I did most of my training up in uh, New York. I did my medical school, my residency in New York and uh, Buffalo. And then I did my fellowship in hand upper extremity out in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City. That's a change from uh, Buffalo, Oklahoma. Now you're down in Florida. Yep. I needed a one year change of pace. <laughs> yeah. So for just a, 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 just quickly upper extremity. So from the waist up, where, where, where does it start? I, I get the up part. Where, where's the bottom part of upper extremities? So upper extremity starts at your shoulder and goes to your fingertips. Very good. Very good. And, and because of all of that, because of, of workers' comp, and you're seeing a lot of stuff. You're seeing a lot of upper extremities. And uh, so in that light, what are some of the most common upper extremity type of uh, uh, challenges you see within sort of the workers' comp area? So in terms of the workers' comp area, I really see two main areas of injuries. <clears throat> I work out in a, in a suburb, and I see a lot of you know, repetitive use type of injuries, a lot of tendonitis, things of that nature. But I also uh, take uh, what's called hand call at the level one trauma center. So level one trauma center is where you see all of the complex injuries basically flown over from, you know, a good portion of the entire state of Florida. So in that portion, you see a lot of industrial accidents, you see a lot of crush accidents, a lot of lacerations, um, you know, a lot of very significant uh, injuries and a lot of those are life-changing, life-altering. Yeah. So there's really two kind of uh, areas of workers' comp injuries that a hand and upper extremity surgeon is going to see. And the, the number one and a lot of the more devastating ones are going to be traumatic injuries, such as those from you know industrial machinery, crushing, lacerations, falls, fractures, yeah. things of that nature. And then after that, you know what you see, which is the everyday type of injuries, which are repetitive use injuries. You see a lot of tendonitis a lot of carpal tunnel syndrome, things like that, things of repetitive use. So this is interesting. I would imagine number one, as we uh, talked about the traumatic uh, one. Now that's a, that's a real, that is a conversation to have with the patient and you 
on that return to work strategy, of course, whatever that might be. And and you brought up a really good point that there might be, it's life altering. You may not go back to uh, what you were doing and, and good, bad, or ugly, whatever it is the reality of it. What are sort of the, some of the uh, strategies behind that re- uh, return to work when somebody is uh, struggling with a traumatic injury? There's a couple of things to getting somebody back to work quickly. There are some injuries where you know from the bat, hey, this person is probably never going to go back to um, any type of, you know, it, manual labor, industrial type work. And you just have to be upfront with the patient. You have to be upfront with everyone and say, hey, from the moment I meet you on, your life has changed. Your life is never going to be the same. And yeah. you're probably not going to do, you know, an example that comes to mind is I had a gentleman try and um, catch a, a falling piece of granite just out of reaction. So an entire slab of granite. Oh. You know? And he nearly amputated all eight fingers, just his thumbs. Oh. And so this is a, a gentleman who I'll meet and say, hey, listen, you know, your life is going forward forever, not going to be the same. You're likely not going to get back into the same type of work. Um, and in those people, you've got to start, kind of start steering the ship, you know, towards it and say, okay, you're going to need some sort of you know, vocational education, some job retraining. Um, maybe you're never going to work with your hands again, but there's no reason that you can't go out and be a salesman. And, and you know, there's no reason that you can't learn other types of business. That's on the most severe end of the spectrum. Yeah. A lot of these injuries that are, are, are you know, single digit injuries, whether they're lacerations or fractures or crush injuries, or even amputations. <clears throat> there's a lot of injuries where, you know, these people, yeah, it's a life-changing injury from the onset, you know, maybe you lost the tip of your finger. Well, that's never coming back. But that doesn't mean that within you know a certain period of time, you can't get back and do absolutely everything um, that you need to or want to do. Uh, and you know, I see amputations very frequently, and people always say, "Well, you know, what am I going to do?" And most of them, I say, a lot of these fingertip amputations, I guarantee you, you know somebody in your life with an injury like that. And you may have looked at their hands hundreds of times and you never even recognized it. <laughs> and I was getting ready to say that because I was just like, yeah, I know people, but I never knew it until they said, opened up their going, hey, that's a shorter finger. But, they, but they're have, back to work and they were doing everything that they can. Right. I have elective patients in my practice who I'm seeing for maybe carpal tunnel and I'll examine their hand. And then afterwards I'll say, hey, did you notice I'm missing my fingertip here? And I'll say, wow, you know, it, it blends <laughs> in that well and they function that well. Right. But even I'll miss and all I do is look at hands all day. So Isn't that something? That's something a, else. A lot of getting people back to work, it has a, uh, there's, there's a lot of factors that go into it. There's probably one of the most important is the, you know, the psychosocial factors. Yeah. Um, understanding that these people have been through something traumatic. Um, and some of them need counseling and they, and they need help because they, they suffer from PTSD and things like that. And that's been proven to be one of the big reasons why people can't get back to work quickly is because they're dealing with other factors. The other thing is pain. If pain is not well controlled early on, it uh-huh. shows that people generally don't get back to work quickly. So, so being on top of pain management, and that doesn't mean narcotics. There, there's so many multimodal areas of pain. And I'm not that I'm anti-narcotics, but I'm very strict with, with patients that I give them to. I usually only give a small course up front and then after they see me their first time, they usually go to anti-inflammatories, topical anti-inflammatories, and other agents like that, um, because I want them off narcotics. Because you can't get back to work if your if your uh, kind of mind is foggy from the medications. If if I see that you're, you you're sort of like the frontline individual, I I have a traumatic injury, and uh, 
I see you, you treat me, all of that good stuff. Is it your responsibility at that time if if I'm struggling mentally to to refer me or or because because your success, I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, is also incumbent upon my uh, way of dealing with the the challenges. So. You know, it's difficult and it's hard and it's something that is kind of ever evolving. You know, when I first started out, I had no idea of the system or anything like that. And it's something you have to learn. But the reality is, is, you know, when you see somebody in a traumatic emergency type situation with a bad hand injury, you're the only person they're going to see when they leave that hospital. You're the only doctor they're going to see. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, you become a primary care provider role. Um, and it's unique as an orthopedic surgeon because we're never in that role. Um, you know, we, we have medical doctors that take care of our patients when they're in the hospital. We have everybody kind of hold our hands and we're very technically focused on making, you know, a mechanical problem better. And that's what we do well. So you get into this and, and I have referred more people than I ever thought I would to see therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists because they've, they've got problems that if they're not dealt with, that patient will never get better. Yeah. You know, somebody can have their whole arm cut off and if they can't psychologically handle it, they'll never get better. But if they handle it and cope with it, well, they might go back to the same kind of work. See, there's a lot of power in that, that uh, thinking, boy, I'll tell you now the obvious, of course, you got this traumatic situation. And, and of course, as a doctor, you're going to, you're going to work it and, and make sure that they're as good as they can be. But what about those that that repetitive type of injuries that you know that you see all the time, and it happens all the time in industry. You see this uh, happen. What do you do about that? Right. So that would be the other half of my workers' comp yeah. practice is this kind of repetitive use injury. A lot of that is tendonitis. A lot of that is carpal tunnel syndrome. Um, and, and trigger finger. And the way I treat that is really the trigger fingers. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> And the way I treat that is the way I would in any other patient who comes to me, right? So it's interesting because, you know, I can have a hundred people who all do the same job and half of them might get a repetitive use injury. And half of those people are going to file under workers comp. And the other half is going to come see me under their general insurance. Uh, so there are so many people who see me and say, Oh yeah, you know, at work, I do, I do this all the time. And I think that's probably what causes it, but they're not filed under a workers comp claim. Then you have the people yeah. who, who go under the workers' comp claim. I don't treat them any differently than I would somebody who is coming to see me and they've got, you know, tennis elbow because, you know, a hundred times a day they're putting heavy boxes on a shelf on their own insurance versus on a workers' comp insurance. They all get treated kind of the same way because my goal ultimately is to get them back as quickly as possible. Now, sometimes with workers' comp, there's different motivating factors uh, and it's easier to get people back, but everything shows that if you, you can get people back and you get them back quickly, they'll, they'll return to work. So, you know, I start the same way. Mm. I start with conservative treatments. I start with steroid injections and, you know, we use surgery. It's a great tool, but we always use it kind of as a last resort. Why is that? A lot of these things you can get people better without surgery. Yeah. You know, when I see somebody with tennis elbow who comes to me and, you know, this is their first time, whether they're workers comp or not, I say, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to try some, maybe some therapy, some anti-inflammatory, some exercises. Um, we'll talk about steroid injections. And I'll tell these people, you know, I probably see 30 people a week with tennis elbow. 
I inject most of them. Some people need multiple injections, but I probably operate on one out of every 100 people I see with the problem. Wow, that's not so much. It's huh. not much at all. No. And if we can get you back to work and get you doing the same stuff, then let's do it. You know, and the question is, you know, oh, should I change my activity? Should I change what I'm doing? Well, the answer is ideally no. Ideally, we get you recovered from the injury or get you recovered from the problem and get you on your way so that you can continue to do what you do. But but with a repetitive, and, and you're dealing with these uh, injuries, and you're, you know, that is a, a a very hopeful statement that you know one in a hundred, whatever the that the majority don't require surgery. But they're back to work. They're doing the repetitive stuff. How how do we how do we deal with that on a workplace? How do so we change it, that up? You know, in the workplace, there are, there are definitely things that that employers can do to prevent some of these repetitive type injuries. And then there are some things that they can't do, but you know, when you wanna focus on what, what can we do as an employer to prevent our, our workers from getting injured, you know, a lot of it is education. You know, education of the employee, education of the staff around them, um, you know, adequate breaks, appropriate recognition of symptoms early on. A lot of this stuff, when you can catch it early, uh, it's much easier to treat it conservatively and it's the people who say, hey, I've been doing this job for 20 years. My elbows hurt me for 20 years. Now I've got a problem. Well, that's going to be a lot more difficult than somebody who says, hey, you know, I've been doing this. I got little aches and pains. And then maybe in the workplace, you know, you have some, some exercises, some stretches already there from the human resources that they can use or from their the employee health. Um, and you try and nip it in the bud before it becomes a full-blown full blown problem. You know, it's interesting. I've seen a lot of companies uh, take that um, – a proactive approach to that health and, and stretching and doing the things that are necessary because they see the benefits in making sure that employees stay at work, doing what they need to do in a safe manner, all of that good stuff. And I, but that, that requires a lot of cultural change within an sure. organization. That's yeah. a big deal. Maybe other companies do it, but the vast majority do not. Yeah. And it's, and it's one of those things, you know, when you have a, a, a a line worker or something like that, an assembly worker who's doing the same yeah. thing, you know, eight, 10, 12 hours a day, yeah. you know, thousand, 10,000 times a day, there's bound to be injuries. So how do you break that up? Well, you know, you've got multiple positions in every company, but people maybe need to be cross-trained on things uh, and say, okay, you know, I, the analogy I give to people is down here in Florida, all these kids play baseball 365 days a year. So, you know, just like anybody, you're not meant to, to do the same repetitive no. thing every day of the year, you know, aggressively. So, you know, these parents come in, they say, well, well, what do I do? Well, you've got to stop. You've got to change what you're doing, you know, and it's different, especially, you know, I trained up in New York. I, I didn't see nearly as much repetitive use stuff in younger athletes as I do down here because they're every season's a different sport. So they're, right. they're playing basketball, you're playing baseball, you're playing football, and they all, it gives that body oh, a chance to recover. Yeah. See, that's interesting. That's a, you're absolutely right. You got a geographical location that you can't play baseball 365 days a year. You just can't. Right. So you wow. see a lot less of this kind of repetitive use stuff there. Um, and obviously when you get to higher levels, that, that thing changes, but down here we have that ability to control it. So you have the ability to control the environment that people are in. Yeah. See, and outside of the traumatic one, which is definitely obvious, you know, th those are, serious case by case, that type of thing. The, the majority of the repetitive ones are, are 
can be treated in a way and, and getting the individuals back up and running and back to work as soon as you possibly can that that exists today. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's interesting in that, you know, a lot of these repetitive type injuries, I can't tell you how many people come to me and say, Oh, you know, I've got this because, you know, I use my hands all day. Well, everybody uses their hands all day, you know, <laughs> find me a person who doesn't, it's, it's, it doesn't happen. <laughs> You know, and there's studies out there and with workers comp, one of the biggest ones is, is carpal tunnel syndrome. Yeah. Everybody comes in and says, I have carpal tunnel syndrome. I use my hands all day. I'm on my computer all day. I'm typing and keyboarding. The reality is if you look into the literature, that doesn't support that typing and keyboarding causes carpal tunnel syndrome. Right. It's very controversial and it's very kind of hard to deal with, especially in the workers comp arenas to say to these people, I don't think that this is caused because you type all day or I don't, you know, oh, every, at this point in our life, everybody types all day. Nobody's writing notes. Everybody's on a keyboard. Everybody's on a phone. So it, there are work related associations with carpal tunnel syndrome, but it's things that people don't realize. It's like truck drivers who have, who drive all day, the vibrations so the micro vibrations yes. of the road causes carpal tunnel syndrome mechanics, people who use power tools, people who have lots of vibratory oh, exposure. Wow. There's, there's great, you know, evidence that that causes carpal tunnel syndrome. There's oh, very poor evidence that typing on a keyboard um, or, or writing all day causes this, but yet it, it's probably one of the most common workers comp claims. I never thought of that. That's really interesting. So let's shift gears a little bit and, and uh, wrap it up. I want to have that conversation about uh, COVID and your experience uh, when it comes to these repetitive uh, challenges and injuries, have you seen any changes that have taken place as a result of this pandemic? You know, in all honesty, I really haven't seen a whole lot of changes. Same stuff. Yeah. It, it's it's interesting that you know, Florida is obviously a different different state than the rest. Of, you know, there's a few states out there that have kind of <laughs> taken this a little less, you know, serious and a little, you know, and, and not to downplay it, but I think you know we've done a very good job That's in here about getting people back to, to normal life with the modifications that we need. But when I look at my practice, you know, last year, for example, in, I think April, we stopped elective surgeries just for one month. But after that, from, you know, May, June, July, were some of my busiest months in practice. And my practice never really took a hit. I never really saw anything, you know, where I wasn't able to see patients. We never stopped seeing patients in the office. Mm. Um, we, we did very minimal to almost none telemedicine. I bet as a, as a practice, wow. we did less, less than five visits. No way. Um, and we were able to, 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 to get through it and, and, you know, you make modifications and you do what you need to do. And now as you know, more and more people down, you know, the area where I live is, is a lot of elderly population. Most of my patients are already vaccinated. You know, I've been vaccinated, they've been vaccinated, and even the younger population, you know, anybody over 18 at this point is able to get it. And it's, we need to get back to a normal way of life. Um, absolutely agree with you 100%. It was interesting the the some of the news out there, it sounds as if it's difficult to get the vaccine, right? It's like, right. okay, we're going to be, we're going to be, uh, targeting people, this and this, and then we're going to roll it out here and all that stuff. I go to a store and they're offering free vaccines. Like the guy's carrying a sign, like get your vaccine. And I remember looking over my wife, I'm going, I thought it was hard to get, but here's a guy with us, you know, a flip side having a grand old time. And, and it was like anything. I mean, there were people who waited in line for 
hours and days. And but it's like a new restaurant opens in your town. You know, it's got a line out the door for the first two weeks. And then everybody's tried it, everybody's done it, everybody calms down. And then all of a sudden it streamlines and it, and it functions and it runs very smooth. So that's the same thing with our vaccination. <laughs> there was these long lines, everybody wanted it, everybody, you know, yeah. was worried they weren't going to get it. And then all of a sudden, a few late weeks later, everybody realizes, okay, we're all going to get this. We're, you know, let's slow down here. And now, you know, at every CVS, every drugstore, there's, there's vaccination clinics. People can walk in. They make their appointment online. That's right. Take a deep breath. We'll all get it. That's for Doug, I'm sure. Any uh, parting remarks that we didn't cover in this particular conversation, anything that I, t- uh, I need to be aware of in, in your practice that people need to understand? I, I think, you know, and my, one of my philosophies is, is really getting these injured workers back. Um, if you look at the literature and you look at, you know, statistics, if you don't get a worker back to work in some capacity within 12 weeks, mm. half of them never return. So if you have somebody out for three months and they haven't got back, half of those people are not going to return to work. Wow. So you've got to get them back. And a lot of times I tell these people, you know, they say, oh, I can't go back and do my job. I can't do this. Um, and this kind of goes back to what can employers do, but it's, it's offering light duty. So if you've got a worker who's injured in the industrial field, get them in your office, get them working in sales, get them doing something else. Because there's very little that you can't do in an office with one hand, you know. So I don't yeah. care if somebody lost their entire hand, they can get back to work and they can be functional. They can be productive. They can be helpful. You know, it's just yeah. getting them back into that environment. It, it changes their psyche. It changes how they think about things, how they look at things. Yeah. They're, they're part of a team again. They're working again. It gives them a little bit more purpose. When you have these people sitting at home for months and months, right. they just sit there, they think of, okay, well, maybe this isn't so bad or maybe I never want to go back to work again. And you've got to kind of nip that, that mindset because wow. the motivated worker the motivated person does a whole heck of a lot better. You can have two people with the same exact injury. If somebody's motivated and wants to get back to work quickly versus somebody who's not, um, that, I'll tell you, that person who's motivated is going to do better. I had a guy who worked in a, a slaughterhouse who lost the tip of his finger. I did surgery on him. He said, I want to go back to work tomorrow. I was like, are you sure? He's like, yep. I was like, I have no problem with that. You keep it covered. You keep it clean. You keep it dry. You know, it, you're not going to have it anymore. It's already gone. So if you want to get back there, <laughs> let's get you back. And, and, See, and that's you great. Did great. So those kind of people do great. Yeah. I, I, there's a lot of studies out there that, uh, you know, support your position, just rolling out of bed at a certain time getting out, getting in the kitchen, grabbing your breakfast out the door and being that, even in that sort of general cadence and driving to work and sitting, it, 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 it helps out quite a bit. You like it or not, but it does help yeah. out quite a bit. How does somebody get a hold of you? So my office is up in uh, Claremont, Florida. My office number is Mm 352-242-0404. And if they ever have problems getting in touch with me or getting in touch with my office, my office manager's email is admin, (laughs) A-D-M-I-N. Yes. At sportsmedicineinstitute.com. All right. And if there's ever a problem getting somebody in, you'll email her. I guarantee you day or night you'll get a response. Fantastic. She's like, Admin. We, we try, I try and get people in. When I know somebody's got an injury, something like that, somebody calls and says, hey, I got somebody who got cut. They were in the ER this morning. Say, so you get me, you get them in here today and I can see them. I'll be there today. All right. The number is 352-242-0404. 
if you're in the Claremont area or in the uh, Orlando area, that'll be fine. Or admin at sportsmedicineinstitute.com. Is that it? That's Did it. Daniela? All right. You got it. Well, you're absolutely wonderful. <laughs> I like this conversation. Yeah, this is great. All right, listeners. Thank you very much for joining In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy, a podcast about, well, cool stuff like this. All right. Thank you, and we'll be right back.